0: Welcome to the Dapper Don Podcast, it's your boy Dapper Don Dez And today we're going to break down as we always do Southern hip-hop and all of his moving parts We're going to talk today on the prison system and the certain ways inmates move within the prison system We're also going to talk in Homie Homage about Raheem the Dream, you got to really get up on it He was an 80s rapper, uh, an Atlanta 80s rapper who really put a lot of groundwork down for the Atlanta music scene so we gotta give him uh some props today on homie homage and for sure for sure we're gonna talk about uh on pitch Worth a Thousand Words we're gonna go through uh some album covers that I notice young ladies tend to turn to uh main one being a young artist from Mobile Alabama named Flo uh Flo Millie she has a real simple flow but she's a real brass you know kind of it's you know some high girl music. It may not be that for you if you really into that lyrical, miracle, spiritual, but I want to break down the album cover, as simple as it is. Why we start to see, I'm gonna get into it. You just stick around, man. But uh before we do all of that, I wanna get into it about I want you to make sure that you like. If you hit if you like something, hit that like button. Share. Share with your friends on social media if you feel like you know somebody else who's a southern hip-hop enthusi- enthusiast who feels as if, you know, they-, they can get some value out of this show. They can get some value out of my my opinions, my point of view. I'd definitely like for you to share it and leave a comment on, on uh, who you think I should talk about next as far as Homie Homage. What artist you think goes unseen? Maybe 8-Ball MJG. Maybe... Uh, Jay Prince, it could be anybody It could be a producer, Beast by the Pound from No Limit Man, we could do anything in Homie Homage We just want to talk about the, the artists who have paved the way So, first and foremost I wanted to talk on t- Today in Daffodon World I wanted to discuss How inmates are moving in prisons See, because I, as many have been been through the court system, and jail isn't. It's different in every other place, right? No one place is the same, but it all has so much commonality. And I wanted to really do a solid deep dive, man. I really wanted to give you an informative look. I want to give you a formal look on this episode of Lingo, Lyrics, and Legacy, where we break down the lingo that makes the lyrics that builds the legacies. Um, I wanted to discuss. The, the song that, that sparked this whole, I guess you could say, thought that was like the launching pad for this, was Uh, Bootsie's "Like a Man" lyrics. So in the lyrics, he he says, "Went to the pen and stood on my own too." Fat mouth and slangin' ish, fist fighting, be whatever you wanna do. Be man for you know B word. Uh, the the reason why the part where he says slangin' ish, right? This thing that's interesting is because when he first got out, he talked about, you know, when when he was beefing with other inmates, like, they would fill up the cups with urine or they would, like, throw it at each other. You know, like how monkeys throw stuff? That's how they would kind of do it when they was on death row because they wouldn't have contact. It's 23 and 1. You get one hour out. And I guess they want to spend that hour, you know, talking to their family. I'm sure they're not bringing up what they've been doing with their time as far as uh, throwing urine on people. I'm sure that doesn't come up in a phone call conversation, but <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a part of prison, man. And I thought that this was, I was like, that is gross. That's definitely a, out of the million reasons why not to go. That's up there in the top 10. Uh, but the, the thing that, that make that so much more interesting is we just thought, okay, that's a weird thing. This isn't something that everybody does. But he ended up later now, five years, five, six years later since he's been out. Uh Boosie described how prison was for him, the DJ Vled He was talking, him and Vlad was talking about NBA Youngboy and how NBA Youngboy was uh getting into to all kind of trouble in jail and all kind of drama. And uh and was it NBA or maybe Kodak? But either way, one of those hot boys, they was uh getting into it with each other, and that's how he ended up getting into a story about how he used to like Uh, Open I guess a food tray where you like open a food tray he'll pee on the hallways But another thing he did now talked about this with YNW Melly He talked about flooding the bathrooms not the bathroom the cell block (laughs) All right so he would use he would like clog up the, the toilets with a towel And keep flushing and flushing and flushing the toilets until the whole cell block is flooded now it's different ways to do this, and I'm gonna go through a few of them with you. But I remember—I don't never remember this happening when I was in the county jail, because in the jail I was in, the bunks was in the beds, and then the toilets was uh outside of the cells. Like in Duval County, you could do that, cause the toilets is in the cell. But the one I was at, the, <laughs> the one I was at when I was out of town, the toilets was up against the wall, and they had no door. There was no privacy. If you had to take a dump, you you did it in front of everybody. You took a shower, you did it in front of everybody. Zero privacy. But uh, I I guess we see why now. I I definitely guess we see why. And I remember you know sitting there and and thinking, man, how how the greatness is. You you, you sitting on the toilet, you watching people walk by, you thinking, bro, you know, mind your business, get out of here. Nobody's actually looking at you, but you feel like people are looking at you. And, and that's just kind of like an unwritten rule. You don't, you're you not supposed to like look at anybody doing anything too long. But anyhow, that wasn't the setup for, I guess, where he was at. Uh, they had, some of them are in lockdown, but toilets is a common thing. Every place has to have toilets, and I'm going to get into why that is. And as much as this may sound like something funny, there's a dark, sinister plot to it, and I'm going to uncover it in this episode of Lingo Lyrics and Legacy. All right, so he talked about that. Uh, uh, but that, that brought me, that brought me to, well, he didn't, I didn't explain what he said so you, did it? Uh, he talked about when he was in there, when he, when he was in there with Vlad, uh, and I not know Vlad, when he was talking to Vlad, when he was in there, he said, man, I used to throw stuff at the toilets, I'd throw stuff at the guards, like if him and the guards were having trouble and he was getting into it with the guards, like how, um, like I told you, Kodak said he got into it with a correction officer And it almost punctured his, uh, his appendix <laughs> I don't know how you puncture someone's appendix By grabbing their testicles But they say this is what Kodak Black did to a correctional officer And he was telling them, like, yeah uh, If you and the correctional officer are going at it You have to report them You report them to, I guess, their superior And their superior eventually move you from Or, or move them if you and this correctional officer is getting into it. So there is at least that. There at least is a protocol where it's just not a free fall in most places. But like I'm going to tell you about this uh prison in Mississippi, you're going to definitely see what I mean when I say it's not like that everywhere. It's not such a, a liberal system. But there was also not only did Boosie get into it by flooding cell blocks, but there was also and W Melly talk. What didn't talk about it. he was reprimanded in court for this and he actually pled guilty. Look, here's I'm going to run it to you. Deliberately overflowing toilets, threatening guard, and fighting an inmate and making three-way calls were among, among rules jail staffers said he broke. So this is W. Melly. So he was threatening guards, fighting inmates, and making three-way calls. I mean, he called somebody and they put somebody else on the phone. All right, well, you know, so this was this was before they gave us an update top of the year about his case and him having all of this it says jail staffer said demons, which is YNW Melly's real name is Jamal Demons. If you can believe that, his real name is Demons. I mean, his his stage name is more polite than his real name. Said demons placed his towel inside the toilet and continuously flushing his toilet into the top tier and bottom tier of the units. I guess the unit two was flooded, so I guess the two floor tiers was flooded. Uh, the deputies. Reported the incident said Demon admitted to deliberately flooding the toilet cell and threatening him Yeah I flooded it now go get your sergeant I beat all y'all and I had real lawyers to get me out of it Demon was quoted as he's saying in the disciplinary report Demon was handcuffed and the deputies called for backup and shut down the unit's housing uh, Shut down the unit housing Demon's cell So the whole unit was shut down The housing unit was shut down According to the report Demons admitted to flooding the toilets But not threatening the deputy He was ordered to spend 20 days in solitary confinement And lost privileges and got 10 days of probation What is probation in prison? Is you on cell arrest? What is probation in prison? <laughs> it's crazy how you can be And this is a crime, by the way This ain't just like an in-jail crime Like, ah, right, whatever, I'm already locked up It can't get no worse That goes on your record <laughs> So it's a real crime you can be fined for. You can Literally, you can be held with no bond. Held with no bond. Then they're having an arraignment for your bond for that case. So you can bond out on that case, and you're still going to be locked up with no bond. <laughs> or, I think that's crazy. That's just the craziest thing ever. But they will set you a bond for a crime if it has a bondable offense, even if you're already in there for a crime you can't bond out on. But according to the report, demons admit flooding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that made me think about it because they also talked about finding, and this isn't just these two rappers. Because you know, Wayne W. Melly ain't screwed on tight, and Boosie a little crazy himself as well. But I, it made me stop and think. There has to be other examples of people who are also going through this exact same thing. It's got to be. There's no way it's just one. It ain't ain't just be one. So I was talking, I was uh, uh, reading up and I seen something uh, out in Oklahoma. So look, this county inmate now faces uh, charges, charges of uh, injury to a public building after two or more convicted felonies. That's the name of the crime at least if you're in Oklahoma. According to on-demand court records, William Walls faced charges of injury to public building after two or more convictions. The charges were added to his record March 28th, but it happened in February, though. R- reports obtained by the courthouse indicated on February 13th a deputy was given two jail incidents report and the remnants of the fire suppression system sprinkler unit used in the jail. So basically, that was the evidence. He used, I'm not going to spoil it too much for you, so let me keep reading. for affidavit show around February 11th, uh, MA Walls was placed on lockdown for his behavior over the course of the weekend. The weekend was wilding. He was wilding. He was turning up all weekend. He was tearing stuff up. I remember when I was in the county, he a dude banged another dude head on the uh on, on the little bunk beds. When I tell you his stuff was split open, Jesus. Jeez. Oh my God. I was playing spades. I just I folded in my hand and went in the cell. I'm like, it's hot out here, boy. They is wildin'. When they tell you misbehaving, that could be anything. It could be anything. <laughs> You got you to gotta be careful around them. They got to put you on lockdown. You, you was a wild boy. You was a wild boy, man. It all could be something as simple as you was doing pull-ups on the stairs. They don't want you doing pull-ups on the stairs either. Uh, okay, so alpha Davis showed around February 11th. Inmate was placed on lockdown on the weekend, over the weekend, wilding on the Saturday, wild Saturday night, huh? Reports alleged, uh, reports alleged Walls threatened an act of violence against a detention officer And showed the inmate manipulating his cell door by jamming the lock so the door would not be locked He got a Saturday night, he got places to go and people to see <laughs> He got to have that door open, you know, it's Saturday night, he got to be able to, to mingle He got to go out, you know, late night, sneak out, whatever, we all did it <laughs> We all did it, right? Not in the jail, uh, so the door not locked, but register registers locked on the control boards. The inmate asked the jail administrator to remove him from lockdown, which was not granted. Now, nah, come on, y'all fellas, yo boys would be boys, crazy weekend, you know how it goes. Nah, buddy, they not letting you go. This upset inmate, rightfully so, uh, alleged along the along with personal issues. This upset the inmate along with personal issues. Other stuff going on. Huh? Other nobody else put the tissue by the lock in the door and, you know, and it was snuck out. He was just out there by himself. Nobody wants to be at the party by themselves. So at some point around 625, 718 PM, that's usually about the time you come up with your best ideas. Walls flooded his cells, resulting in the detention officer turning off the water supply to the cell. Walls, according to the report, responded by then breaking the sprinkler head, resulting into another flooded cell. Bond for this charge is set at $25,000. Now, to to me, I think that's interesting. I didn't even think about them having sprinklers. I don't remember ever being in a jail cell. I haven't been in many. Before you get to asking, well, how many have you been in? I haven't been in many. I don't remember sprinkler heads there. They don't care about us. Why don't they got sprinkler heads? I guess I don't walk in out looking for sprinkler heads neither though. But uh I guess that's the most sanitary way of doing it. There was some more reports of them having raw sewage flood to cell block. I wasn't even gonna do you like that. I didn't wanna read it, and I ain't want you to hear it. You know, you gotta you gotta know when you're going too far, man. So here, here go another one. Here's, here's another example. According to the court documents, so not only this was separate from uh this was walls, the walls, this was different than walls. Walls just flooded the sprinkler system. They locked him down. He his lady wasn't answering the phone. He sprinkled the cell block. Eh, you know. We've been there, right? We've all done that before. But let, let me bring you to this one. According to court documents, CNET filed the following charges against 26 year 26 year old Devin. David Wayne Brandon and 22-year-old Robert Wicks. Anyway, ins- here's what the charges was. Institutional vandalism education facility, misdemeanor, two counts. Disorderly conduct, hazardous physical offense, misdemeanor, three counts. Uh, criminal mischief tampering with property. So according to the is the flooding was created when each of the inmates and this is like a, a brisk you know, of course, this came from like a, a three, four page uh, article. I am not going to go through all of that with you. I read it, but I just took out the part that I thought was most important. So that's why it just seems like it's, it's bits and pieces of it. I just want you to get to the point of the flooding the toilets and to show you how inmates are using ways to rebel. And some of them, like I said, are as silly as the last guy who just was doing something to be doing nothing. This one was a, a little bit more closer to what I actually Want to get to the pro, get to the actual point of, but I still just want to show you the different levels of why and how they think like this as inmates. So, according to the complaint, the flooding was created when each of the inmates in question blocked the gap underneath their cell doors with a towel, overflowing until it caused water to back up in the cell, then remove the towel, allowing the water to escape the cell in a rapid fashion in an obvious intentional act. The correctional officer in the video was was filling in for another officer who took the day off. Began her shift at six PM and the act occurred around six thirty. According to the complaint, Wix made a comment to the correctional officer that it wasn't her night to work and stated that he known she was there, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have done it. That's what that was the point that really made me not only to read you the charges, the uh, the institutional vandalism and education of uh, institutional vandalism, education facilities and disorderly conduct, hazard of physical offenses and criminal mischief tampering with property. Um, because I was like, well, what would the charges be? You know, how could because you have to, I guess, what what is the D.A.'s burden of proof? Every D.A. has a burden of proof that you intentionally did it because a toilet could just flood and you're going to see here in a minute. What kind of conditions people are living in And why you will see people rebel You do get where it's mutual, right? This was also the same thing with kind of like You know, why Melly was just being a sport brat These other guys was just kind of This other guy was just doing it because he was being disciplined But these guys were talking about doing it Because they were targeting a certain uh, A certain correctional officer and Boosie talks about that. When you feel bullied by another officer and you feel like you don't have a way to actually push back, you will find strange ways. Like, you've never wanted revenge that didn't really solve the problem. It just made the other person feel as low as you did. That's kind of where that mindset is at, where you feel belittled, so you want to belittle the other person. I don't know what really happened with uh, David Wayne Brandon here and his friend. But, I mean, 26 and 22, you enough to know better, but you're still young enough not to care. And, and that just brings you into the psyche of how prison affects the mind of people and how it is a personal thing because they said this wasn't her night to work. This was supposed to be for another guard. That's why they waited at 6 p.m. to do it. But I don't know if you're not on lockdown at 6 p.m. So they did. They would have had to intentionally close the door, put the towel down and just had the water run all over the place. So the other CEO would have to clean it up and that's the whole that that's that's it. That's the whole bit. That's the whole bit, because if you attack the CEO now you're in you in even more trouble now. So I guess this was their non violent that's their nonviolent protest, I suppose. You know, some see Murder who was locked up, he went on a hunger strike. So sometimes people just they they go as far as they gotta go with this kind of stuff, bro. You know they'll stop eating if they feel like they're really being abused and they're being mistreated. they hunger strike, a city, riots, whatever. They say the riot is the language of the unheard. But uh, this next this next example I'm finna tell you about is the darkest and most disgusting thing ever. Not disgusting like raw sewage, disgusting, disgusting like morally disgusting. And I want and I want you to listen to it close. There's a lot of information, but just stick with me. It's super important that we understand where this mentality against the police come from. Um, inmates at a Mississippi penitentiary and in, in Parchment and Parchment says chronic staff shortage and rapid violence has led prisoners to insert their own, I guess, order and treat their own treat their own stab wounds, and suffer through seizures without medication. And in many incidents, there's only one guard for every 160 inmates, according to the lawsuit filed Wednesday in the U.S. District of Court in Greensville, Mississippi. The suit is the second filed in as many months as many months with the help of rapper Jay-Z, real name Sean Carter, and Yo Gotti, real name Mario Mims. So Jay-Z, as you know, billionaire, owns a stream company, married to Beyonce, is an avid philanthropist. And his, uh, and his team is always doing these social things. And Yo Gotti, a rapper from Memphis, but talked about how Mississippi State Penitentiary is somewhere where I guess a lot of his friends find themselves although he's from memphis like i said he's still relatively close to him in a relative sense and he was speaking about how this how these inmates these aren't like hardened criminals these guys could be there for drug offenses they could be there for anything mind you jay-z and your guy they have a history of drug dealing so i think this is really where his home like they're, they're looking at these conditions like man one step too slow one step too slow and i could have been in there this could be me living in these conditions, you know. But uh, your guy, the real name, Mario Mims, who has been been protesting the inhumane and dangerous conditions of the confinement in prison. The pair on Thursday also released an open letter to Mississippi Governor uh, Tate Reeves calling him to shut down the facility, which they wrote has become a shameful symbol of society's moral decay. <laughs> Read that one again They say it has become A shameful symbol Of society's moral decay The complaints was filed On behalf of 152 inmates Who say that they are Under constant peril At Parchment And that the environment Is so barbaric And devastation of health And mental health care So extreme And, and the defect In security so severe That the people confined at Parchment Live in a miserable Helpless existence Confronted daily by risk of substantial harm In violation of their rights Under the U.S. Constitution Thurgood Marshall dad said The U.S. Constitution isn't how things is But how things ought to be That's what, you, that's what Thurgood Marshall Dad told him uh, But Parshman, The only maximum security prison For men in the state Has more than 3,500 inmate beds And has grappled with a history Of inmate abuse Corruption and racial segregation uh, they they had a picture in the article of an inoperatable toilet inside a cell at Parchment. an inoperatable toilet inside a cell at Mississippi State Penitentiary at Parshman. Uh, it it was when you see it, it was like wrapped up in plastic, and it's like, so what are these people supposed to use if they're in their cell at night? They can't open the door. Where what do you use the bathroom at? You know, um, this it, and mind you, this is maximum security prison, so. When they say there are a defect in security, that is a huge problem. That's not just kind of a problem. That is a huge problem, especially when we start thinking about if you're in there for drug use and you got this guy who's a rapist, murderer next in your cell, and there's only one security 160 people out of in a 3,500 people prison. That I don't know if you know how many 3,500 really is and how big of a facility. You would have to have the house 3,500 inmates, man But an inmate named Thomas Lee, 49 was, was in so need of medical health Of mental health care That before he took his own life in January His last words were reported to have been I'm tired of this ish. Don't care. They don't care about me or my food I'm about to kill myself Listen to this part. Inmates also describe rat feces, cockroaches, bird droppings, contaminating their meals, as well as toilets and showers in a perpetual state of systematic failure. They let the smart inmate write that one. (laughs) They let the smart inmate, the one always reading books. Hey, man, write this down. Write this down in the way you would want it to be said. The toilets are always broke. Oh, perpetual state of systematic failure. Oh, they killed that. They did that one. They convinced me with that one. I'm like, it's a perpetual state of systematic failure. I mean, it's perpetual. No, it's a perpetual system of failure with the system. All right, the guards that that made a ledge have played an active role in – the deteriorating conditions Failed to act out of fear for their own safety To look the other way amid violence Meaning, uh, what well better you than me, right? And Mind you, these not all of these people there for violent offenses So you're putting everyday normal people Who might have found themselves in a certain weird situation And now they're here The male only want to get too much into what they're saying they find in the food You know, uh, but... Yeah, so so they're talking about uh, plaintiffs have resorted to trying to tying their cell block closed at night to prevent guards from allowing other inmates to enter and assault them. That's how you got to protect yourself. Your toilet don't work. <laughs> Your toilet don't work. You got to tie it shut so they don't let other little crazy nutcases in here on you. It, it's so much. And since December 29th, at least 18 people have died in the Mississippi State Prison. Some as a result of gang-related riots and suicides, officials say Mississippi has one of the highest incarceration rates in the United States. Across the state prison system, the string of violent deaths and lockdowns and protests outside the Mississippi Capitol to shut it down have caught the attention of U.S. Justice Department, which announced this month that it will review conditions at the Mississippi State Penitentiary, as well as South Mississippi Correctional Institution and Central Mississippi Correctional Facilities, and uh Wilkinson County Correctional Facilities. So this this stopped it made me ask myself, I know it's called state penitentiary, so I assume the state owns it. Right? This is a state-owned thing. Um but I asked, what is this a private prison? But I still had to ask if this was a private prison. And and this is the answer I found out. following a sprint of violence resulting in the deaths. Of at least five state inmates since the new year began The Correctional Department began transferring inmates From Mississippi State Penitentiary at Parchment Where I just told you at They just, they transferred it to uh, Tallahoochee (laughs) I'm probably ruining it But let's just go with Tallahoochee Correctional Facility A private prison So the people over this whole The people over this private prison Because that's the state funded prison I mean your state taxes paying for that. The people over this private prison is a company called Corvik. Core Civic. Core Civic. And you probably asking who is that? And you know, what do they have to say? So here's a gist or a brief rundown over the people who are over these private prisons. Who's over these not the ones I just read you about, but over another group of prisons. But just just peep the mindset of what's going on down there in Mississippi, man. And this is how, and when I tell you where they're based out of, whether the court whether they're based out of, that may explain the ties with Yo Gotti being from Tennessee. But let's just let's read it and you know and connect the dots ourselves. As of 2016, the company is the second largest private correctional. This is Core Civic. As of 2016, the company is the second largest private correctional company in the United States. Core Civic managed more than 65,000 state and federal corrections correctional and detention facilities with the capacity of more than 90,000 beds in 19 states and the District of Columbia. The company revenue in 2012 exceeded $1.7 billion. By 2015, its contracts with federal correctionals and detention authorities generated up to 51% of its revenue. It operated 22 federal prisons with the capacity of 25000 By 2016, the uh, by 2016, blah, blah, they were running more than 170 prisons and they had about 1.7 billion. So, you know, they, they rack in at almost 2 billion every year just off of inmates. The CCA has been the subject of much... Controversy over the years Mostly related To the apparent attempt To save money Such as hiring Inadequate staff Extensive lobbying Lack of proper Cooperation with legal entities To avoid repercussions CCA rebranded itself In the core civic Among the ongoing scrutiny Of the private prison industry So I read you all of that And now you see It's more than enough money In this stuff It's more than enough money and they're, they're running it like a business. Now, why just read you was a state prison. I wanna make sure it's clear because if they run across this, I don't wanna be like, Oh, you saying that we had anything to do with the Parchment Prison? I'm not saying that. Mississippi State Penitentiary was not their prison. They're being moved to another prison. But yo, Gotti did allege while he was on the Breakfast Club that in because the inmates, I guess, were sneaking in phones or just ways to communicate with people from the outside. And instead of fixing the problem, the company hired... Not the company. Uh, Yogati alleges that these vehicles were put outside of their prisons to prevent cell phone service, meaning the block of the jam cell phone service. So that they, they couldn't get it out. They couldn't, you know, expose them for what they were and were not doing. They've been cited for many violations. And... And amidst all of these violations, here's what the CEO of CoreCivic had to say. Situation like this exemplify how crucially important it is for state and federal partners to have access to our real estate assets and associate serving officers and associated service service offering. Uh, This is from the CEO, Damon Hingling. Said in the release, without the private sector, there would be no immediate alternative solution available to the state. So, I guess this is his way of saying, this is why you need private prisons. Because the state can't afford to run prisons correctly. So, it, it's, it's, all, it's all a ploy, man. It's all a tip. One hand washes the other. One hand washes the other. That's what it seems like to me. That's what it seems like to me You can really tell me what you think I, I know I went in deep with that With, uh, with, with that particular with, with that particular subject Just because I really wanted you to grasp The the understanding and the, the importance Of what it is that That what Not only what a lot of these institutions have to go through Because fact of the matter is Somebody had to break the toilet The the food being contaminated contaminated Is is completely unacceptable But you are housing inmates You are housing people who are naturally breaking laws This is what they do And the people who seem to be governing them Are also equally involved in uh, or, Or at least complicit in this law breaking So it can really make it tough man It can really make it tough for Someone who's really trying to rehabilitate Really trying to Figure out what they're gonna. How can I focus on what I'm gonna do when I get out when I don't know if I'm gonna get out? I can't even take the time to think what the prison sentence is supposed to be. Which is time for you to think about what you did. How can I think about what I did when it's just it's so much going on and it's such a corrupt system? I didn't I didn't uh, take out the excerpt Like I said, I read so much. and There was so much information on this stuff, and I just took out the part that I really thought y'all could learn a lot from. Um, it, it was just so much. To go with it and you see where they get this F the police mentality from. And then their kids have it. And the kids see Dad got this resentment towards the cops, so they have it. Um I was reading something, and I'm gonna move on to uh more lighter topic after this. But I was reading something about uh uh Nipsey Hussle, you know, one of my favorite newer or younger artists. He died out in Crenshaw about last year of March. But uh they was talking to the guy who got shot along with him. Dude who got out after serving 26 years for stabbing a woman who was reportedly trying to like scam him, uh, was trying to scam like saying that uh she would buy some crack from him, skim a little bit off, and say, oh you shorted me, so he would give her, uh, uh, he would give her her money back, or he would give her more dope. And I'm like, well, bro, that's on you, <laughs> that's on you. And apparently, uh, altercation breaks out. He stabs Eliza to death. He serves twenty five years. He gets out, you know, and uh looking to get some kind of love, uh, got some kind of appreciation from Nipsey, where they gave him some socks, shirts, hats, you know, just something you would need when you get home and getting back on your feet. He would also hire. I mean, Nipsey also hired people, you know, to sweep the uh, to sweep the parking lots, clean up, and do all this other stuff. Well, one of the women. Who was, I guess, 57-year-old woman Who's been a member of the Rolling 60s Same crew as Nipsey Since they started in the 70s Talked about uh, Where where One, what Crip used to be Like, Crip used to be like a youth club, right? They would sneak out And the worst things they would do was, was, you know, hop the fence And pull all the bleach All the benches together at their local school And, like, have, I guess, a big slumber party Under the stars, how she explained it Guess that's what she was doing, and uh, I went into that crack epidemic where they said they started being pushed back against the cops. I think that's a missed opportunity because, see, the, the way you deal with that, that's kind of set in stone now, you know, because there was already the war over territory. That territory became beef set in stone. She talked about seeing the switch, you know, seeing the switch in mindset against police and how, in one generation, because I never remember. This beautiful generation of the 70s Of how they viewed Crips as uh, a political party I never knew that I've never known a time when you could leave your door unlocked I never knew a time when if you came home and you lost your key You can stay with the neighbor All I know is lock the door, don't trust nobody So it's kind of strange just to think like a decade or two Before I was born, the world was so different It's so strange to believe that And we clearly can't go back because you can't go back in time But if there is another that to come What do you think Leaving the conversation What do you think we would have to do Not only as our community As law enforcement And as a society in a whole To get back to that place Where we was once at Apparently for a good little while But And I want to i take it on the lighter news And speak on somebody Who has been Working hard And, and deserves this uh, appreciation I wanted to talk about an Atlanta legend by the name of Raheem the Dream. Raheem the Dream, if you don't know, you may know him from the song Most Beautiful Girl. You may know him from "I uh, Freak No More. And if you do know these songs, sir, you or ma'am, you are old as it gets. These songs was he was a young he was a rapper from the eighties at the time. And uh and uh and I came across one of his interviews. He was talking about how he sold records, right? So he was selling cassette tapes. He was independent. That's what's so beautiful about it. He was an independent artist. He didn't really get too, you know, like too invested or too involved in the majors in the beginning. He was definitely on his own. He was standing his own too. And he would talk about selling like these independent albums or these ind- these independent cassette tapes and, and CDs to distributors and these distributors would pay for it meaning they'll send him an invoice and the invoice would would be like okay well you know here's your invoice we'll pay you this in 60 days so he was talking about and I just thought this was so interesting and it stuck when I seen the interview and I had to finish watching it he would talk about all right so you can sell it straight to mom and pop stores that's cool but the distribution already had a plug on the actual albums that they wanted so you'll work hard in the streets, get it all going, then you'll press up your CDs. When you go to sell your CDs to the distribution, the distribution uh, uh uh pay you in six uh pay you in sixty days, but charge the mom and pop stores that day when they get the CDs. So they gonna pay you on back end while you pay up front. Most people did this. Rahina the dream was like, No, that's not fair. You're gonna pay me when I get it. So basically the system he ended up setting up was Every time he would send 3,000 CDs, he would get paid for those 3,000 CDs. So, he was just bringing so many at one time. That's just how his stuff was booming across, you know, the network that the distribution company had. Because they charged $2 up. That was the retail price. So, what? that was the wholesale price. So, he was saying he got $6 off $300. He coming, I mean $3,000, he coming home with 18 bands every time he drops off 3,000 cassette tapes. I was like, man, that sounds like a really good hustle and way too much work. This is the internet era, buddy. You could have just uploaded an album. But that shows you like the kind of ingenuity and the kind of thought process and kind of work ethic. It would have took for you to get on back in the day, man You had to know business You had to know how to sit down You had to be able to put a suit on in the day Negotiate businesses And put on a fitted hat at night And rock the concerts It was just took that kind of ingenuity And that self uh, and, and just just that, that self-education That self-knowledge That self-matrimony, man You gotta respect stuff like that So I wanted to uh, run, run down this article I seen about him Raheem The Dream talks about being first Rapper to get airplay and gets rewarded. So, Atlanta Councilman Michael Bonds recently uh, bestowed an, an honor on the multi talented entertainer Michael Rashid, aka, Ra- I mean, Michael Raheem. That ain't even Michael. That's, I'm going to go Raheem the dream at Atlanta City Hall on Monday, May 16, 2006. So, uh, this was a while ago, but he, he gets into it. Uh, this was an article that really shows you his scope. So look, Raheem the Dream has been a very successful in the music industry, locally, regionally. Uh, he has a major deal with Breakaway Entertainment through Atlantic Records and Universal Music. Uh, his honor is dedicated to his outstanding contribution, groundbreaking work that helped lay the foundation of Atlanta's hip hop music scene. Councilman Bonds and other council members expressed their appreciation for the music and outstanding, tremendous contribution to the city of Atlanta music scene. They rewarded him with our Raheem the Dreams Day. Raheem the Dream added, and I was bestowed with the Phoenix Award, the highest honor from the mayor's office. The honorable mayor reed presented me with this award and complete surprise. So here's some questions he was asked. He says, How does how does such an honor make you feel? He says, an honor of this magnitude lets me know that my work does not go unnoticed. Brother, from the things that you laid down, if you was the first to get airplay from Atlanta, there's no reason nobody shouldn't know what you're doing. So, what's the success? The uh, what's the secret to success? He says, and this is important because, and this really caught my ear when I heard it. I'm glad I said I gotta tell the people who listen to me, because I've heard this before from other successful people. I'm not sure if it's a secret to success in entrepreneur, but I believe that after setting up and establishing a business, that means start working, build it, and they will come. Don't look for the handout. Build a business first. Maintain regular, consistent contact is essential. Follow-up is the most crucial aspect in entrepreneur. He goes into more depth, but that's pretty much the gist of it. They ask him, all right, so what's the secret to networking and building relationships? He says, the secret of networking is getting involved at various levels with those who have similar business interests and build on that, maintaining regular and consistent contact. That means constantly and consistency is the key to success. We've heard that a thousand times, man, and we're going to hear it a thousand more. Uh, his, his was another one. His was really a, a good question that I thought brought, brought so much scope to just how, how monumental This brother was. So I'm going to read you the whole thing. It's a bit lengthy, but just hear it out. What is the difference between Atlanta Music's film and TV scene when you started and now? He says, when I started in the music business, Atlanta was not a main player in the music, film, TV market. For instance, the rap, hip-hop music being played on the radio prior to 1956 was by artists on the East and West Coast. Local rap was played on radio on VS 103 FM on a Friday night fresh party for two hours from 10 p.m. to 12 a.m. That's not really a lot of time, bro. That's now I remember, it's funny he says that, because I remember uh Talib Kweli talking about hip-hop used to only play for two hours. And he was from New York. He said hip-hop didn't have its own station. It had two hours. It was from six to eight. You would hear hip-hop from six to eight. <laughs> and uh and apparently in Atlanta, it was the same thing, man. My music was the first rap played on commercial radios on rotation in Atlanta by a local rap artist. It was first played by Mitch Flick, uh, F- Flackner? Flackner, who was a, a PD program director, on KISS 104 on August 2nd, 1986. This was history making Atlanta rap music scene. We did not have relation we did not have reality shows or major films until the 2000s. Hip hop music has been at the forefront of generating all of the interest in Atlanta, creating a reputation as the new music as a new music mecca. Ooh, talk heavy. Talk heavy. You know it. You know it. So man, you talking about August 1986, man. And you hear so much about Freak Nick at that time, and I'm sure his music was the soundtrack for that. Um, I remember Ross Ross just posted an Instagram pic Of him JT Money And I tricked that He says Miami's He said Miami's Mount Rushmore Like there He didn't even have Luke there Like now, nah, we talking about people who really spit Because I don't know if y'all know JT Money really spit He can really go He really talk about stuff man But uh, I only brought that up Because he also kind of came up from the same Underground scene and it was just on my mind. It was just on my mind. And uh, well, let me see what current projects are you working on now. My current project, uh, the book, the record business, the uncut truth. And he had a single out called "We Don't Do Broke." Why is entrepreneurship important in the black community? Here it is: entrepreneurship is important in all communities, but in the black community, but in the black community, it provides a sense of independence and positions the black community to control his own economic base. He asks who is his mentor. He pretty much says his mother. And you know, and, and here's another one. Uh how do you use technology in social media? Is it helpful? I use technology primarily to promote music and my business interests and activities, as well as to stay in touch with my fans. We maintain social media accounts for me, as well as encourage everyone on the two tight to death music label to do the same. I use technology on a daily basis I have regular use of my mobile phone and tablet So I can stay in contact with my business contacts and interests Yes, it's helpful to my business interests So, just wanted you to know Hit hit that from Raheem the Dream You know, Raheem the Dream really comes from like a raunchy music scene too Uh, he really had some real lady man's records He was a real kind of player, kind of brother Um He, it was, it was just such an interesting time when I, when I look back to that time, when I look back at, you know, the Southwest T distribution days when, when all of these artists, how they found just their own way of making money, making moves. And I think it's now better. I think it's better now, but you know, the groundwork they had to put in, man, it, it, it was, it was amazing. And let look, look, let me see if, if I can get some time. If I can just hold your time for about another two, three minutes. So I want to do a pitch worth a thousand words, where I talk about an album cover, where I go into the story of an album cover or really talking to an album cover. This is a really basic album cover I'm going to talk about. It's a girl named Flo Millie from Mobile, Alabama. She has an album cover called her album, not album cover. Her album's called Get Ready for This. Whole, why are you here? I think that's a double entendre. The minute I said that, I was like, at first I thought she was talking to somebody else, but maybe this is like another thing. Like, why are you doing this? Maybe that's like a self thing. Maybe she asking herself, like, why are you here? Because I listen to her music and, bro, she all right. <laughs> she, she okay for what it is. Like, it's tough for me to say how I like Flo Millie, right now how well do i like her music at this very point because it's one of those like if you at a party and all the women going crazy to this song they hitting the floor they showing out to it you like you no, what? that ain't a bad song that song is okay that song is, is straight it'll do you it can play it anytime um these songs that she has a lot of that music it's a lot of uh simple hard bass hitting music kind of like miami bass music a little bit a little bit, like, she definitely comes from uh, uh, the family tree of Raheem the Dream and, and all these other little ratchets. Uh, but but the, the thing that made me think about it, the thing that really made me uh, stop and think on, uh, on, on, on Flo Millie's album cover, it's nothing really special going on, just a white backdrop, a young lady. With, but I seen the blonde hair and the way she was squatted down. And the first person I thought about was Little Kim. Little Kim was the first person I thought that I was like, you know what she used to do stuff like that. And I always harking back to, is that more on the artist or is that on the photographer right? Now did the photographer give you plenty of looks and you say, oh no, that remind me of little Kim. I'm gonna go with that one or did uh, uh, did the photographer like, listen, we're gonna go with what always works. Lil' Kim squatted down, did this certain look with the legs spread open. She killed it with that. I don't know if she came over that, because you look at like, uh, when I say Foxy Brown, I mean like Pam Greer era. Like that 70s, when you look at how girls used to present themselves in those videos, I mean in those album covers, it was like the hand on the hip turnaround look. Every girl did that. Every girl in the 90s was doing that one. (laughs) <laughs> There's some picture of your mom somewhere doing that. It's just this is the way girls used to pose. Like now girls got the uh the, the little toe touch where you know they kind of got like one foot hiked up on the toe. I may be looking at their pictures a little too hard. But how they got the one one toe hiked up, whatever, I'm like, okay, that, that, that's that's the new hoochie mama stance, but shuty, they keep going back, whether that be Meg the Style, Nicki Minaj, uh Cardi B, Cardi B on the money. You remember Money, the album cover for Money? That was another one. Like the squatting pose, man, you got to give it to Kim when you're doing that. I don't ever remember Trina doing that. Trina was, I talked about Trina sitting on top of some dude in the ICU or something. Now, nah, she was the ambulance driver. It was a little kinky. But anyway, uh, that's why <laughs> Pitch is Worth a Thousand Words. There's not much to say about Flo Millie's album cover. Pretty girl, though. For sure, pretty girl. But uh, as always, I want you to make sure you like, comment, share, and more importantly, subscribe. It's your boy, David Dondez. I'm out.